Welcome back to the Heidi Allen case, Central New York's most enduring mystery. I'm Ryan Zaldwando. In episode one, which can be found at wrvo.org, we introduce you to three of the central characters in this story, Heidi Allen, Richard, and Gary Thibodeau. Let's do a little recap so we can start moving ahead. On April 3rd, 1994, Heidi Allen was kidnapped from her job as a cashier at the D&W convenience store in New Haven. After 54 days, nobody knew where she was or had any idea who did it. Her family was in a panic, and the whole town united to find her. In the meantime, Heidi's last customer at the D&W that morning was Richard Thibodeau. He joined the New Haven community in searching for the missing 18-year-old, but also continued living his life. Thibodeau was still going to work and spending time with his family, but he had an increasing suspicion he was becoming a suspect because of some unconventional interactions he had with law enforcement after the kidnapping up until the point he was arrested for it on May 25th. His brother Gary was a different story, and he ended up in jail too. He and his girlfriend were arrested on a drug charge, and his criminal past caught up to him, leading to him being put in jail. In all, Heidi was still missing, Richard was arrested for kidnapping her, and Gary was in jail for drugs. Now let's get started. This is episode two, The Trials. The big question after all of that information we learned in episode one is what evidence did law enforcement have to arrest Richard Thibodeau? Richard maintained his innocence from the moment he was arrested. He cooperated with law enforcement every step of the way, and when his van was searched, they found no evidence of Heidi's DNA. Why would he be arrested? Let's go back to April 22nd. At this point, Richard's life was seemingly back to normal. The initial shock of the kidnapping had ended in New Haven, and people were starting to get back to their routines. But we've already had some clues that Richard was being eyed by the Sheriff's Department. He had been questioned, his van had been searched, Clearly, he was a person of interest from the second he made that phone call saying he was at the DNW. Here's a blurb from a document shared from the Oswego County Sheriff's Office to all sergeants that explains a lot. Beginning with the 3 to 11 shift on Friday, April 22, 1994, and continuing through Monday, 4-25-94, the FBI will be conducting a surveillance of some subjects in conjunction with our investigation into the Heidi Allen disappearance. There's a lot to take in here. The FBI is now in New Haven, which for such a small place is quite the unusual thing. There are a couple of things that come next that will answer many of the questions as to why things unfolded the way they did. Let's read some more from that note, which turns to the subject of Gary Thibodeau. If one of the surveillance teams observes the following vehicle being operated by Mr. Gary Thibodeau, 1983 Cadillac, four-door, tan and brown, parked at a bar restaurant, the surveillance team will make contact with our dispatch by phone as to the location. You should put a patrol in a position to stop the subject in this vehicle when he leaves the bar restaurant to see if he is DWI. He is also revoked. If he is DWI and alone in the vehicle, then arrest him and tow the vehicle to the office and contact Lieutenant Goodsell. If he has a female subject named Sharon Raposa, the registered owner of the vehicle, with him, and she is too drunk to drive also, tow the vehicle and contact Lieutenant Goodsell. If Ms. Raposa is not drunk, she should be allowed to drive the vehicle away, and again, Lieutenant Goodsell should be contacted. Again, discuss this information with your personnel in person. Do not put this information over the air. Do not post this memo, and do not leave copies around that might be observed by non-law enforcement personnel. That notice from the Sheriff's Department establishes Gary as a suspect. 
They spent a whole weekend staking out Gary, trying to arrest him with a DWI so they could have him in custody. Here's where we have to draw some inferences. We talked in the last episode about Heidi's physical appearance. She was tall, much taller than either of the Thibodeaux. After Richard called the cops on April 3rd, law enforcement must have assumed that if he did it, he must have had some help to get Heidi out of the store and into his van. His van was searched on April 9th, and we already know that no DNA from Heidi was found in the van. There was some material found, hair and fibers, along with some fingerprints on the outside of the van, but none of it belonged to Heidi. The FBI's involvement with this case did not start with that weekend either. According to the current Oswego County District Attorney, Greg Oakes, the FBI saw Richard power washing the inside of his van at a gas station a few days after it was searched. But Richard said that was because police left fingerprint dust all over the van, so he wanted to clean it. So now we know that in addition to Richard being in custody, law enforcement had their sights set on his brother Gary as well. It's impossible to say for sure, but based on that note from the sheriff's office, it certainly seems like his drug arrest on May 25th was no coincidence. Let's take a look at what happened until the other shoe dropped. We've just gone through a ton of information, so let's recap quickly before we move on. Richard is in Oswego County Jail, while Gary is in a Massachusetts jail. We know law enforcement has Gary's name in connection with Heidi Allen's kidnapping, but we can only presume they didn't have enough concrete evidence to make an arrest. Richard was the last person in the DNW, and he had that van. Law enforcement knew that if he was really the perpetrator, he likely could not have done it alone. In jail, Gary apparently made some new friends, or maybe it would be better to call them acquaintances. Gary claimed he never talked to them. Either way, they were all in jail together. These two acquaintances were named Robert Baldessero and James McDonald. These two were the catalyst behind what happened next. Gary Thibodeau was arrested on July 22, 1994, and charged with the kidnapping of Heidi Allen. We know law enforcement had been trying to get Gary since before Richard was even arrested in May. So what was the evidence that finally connected him to Heidi? It all circles back to Baldessero and McDonald. Law enforcement in Oswego County managed to track these two men down, who claimed Gary was the man who did the crime. The story the two men told went like this. Occasionally, Gary and Heidi would use drugs together. According to Baldessero and McDonald, Heidi was afraid Gary was going to take advantage of her in some way in a drug deal. So the brothers went to the DNW to talk to her. The informants claimed Gary talked to her behind the store and took her back inside. There is no evidence that Heidi left the store that morning before she was kidnapped. Baldessero also claimed that Gary once asked him in jail if teeth burned. The two jailhouse informants also claimed that Gary said Heidi Allen was killed with his shovel and that investigators would never find her body. I want to take a moment to flush this out, because as horrible as it sounds, it's one of the possibilities here. By no means am I saying this is what happened. I just want to include this version of the story because these two men were regarded as legitimate witnesses. Anyone listening can form their own opinions. If the accounts of the two informants were 100% true, that would basically mean everything we know to be true to this point is a lie. Richard didn't go to just buy cigarettes. He went with Gary so he could talk to an 18-year-old to reassure her about buying drugs. Then the brothers kidnapped her and killed her with a shovel. 
And if the question Baldessero claims Gary asked him was any indicator, that would mean he lit Heidi's body on fire. Now, based on all of the other evidence we'll hear later, this just does not seem like it could be entirely true. But it makes sense to assume that what law enforcement sunk their teeth into was that Gary was going around jail telling people he kidnapped Heidi Allen. Gary later claimed that he never spoke to either informant in jail, but rather he noticed they were following him around every time he was on the phone writing down everything he said on a notepad. Here's Richard to explain what he remembers from this time. When he got back here, they they put him in jail here in Swickle County. And so so was I. I was there too. And uh they got these two inmates that come up from Massachusetts and at the time Donald Dodd, the DA, was preparing them for court, for trial. You know, uh trying to think of how you would word that, but uh, setting them up to testify against my brother because they couldn't use them against me. But he did try to use them inmates against me in my trial because Gary went to trial first. And then in my trial, Donald Dodd wanted to use them inmates against me. I never talked to him. At this point in time, the brothers were reunited in the Oswego County Jail. You could imagine things were tough between them at this point, because if they didn't really do it, then now Gary was in jail because Richard called the cops. It's not really anyone's fault, but it had to be difficult. Or, if they did do it, then now they were both caught. Here's Richard on what their relationship was like at the time. I mean, it was all right, but we never did get to see each other that much because he was in one side of jail and I was on one side on the other. And, uh, but uh, it wasn't uh, all that great because they blamed me for him being arrested and being charged with uh, kidnapping Heidi Allen and saying it was my fault. Your fault he got arrested. It's your fault this happened to him. So it wasn't very good at that time. This was a particularly bad time for Richard, because now the community of New Haven knew him and Gary as the kidnappers of Heidi Allen. Again, we don't know for sure what happened, but he had already lost in the court of public opinion before he was put on trial. Then when they arrested me, then all hell broke loose. I had people coming to my house, uh, calling me a kidnapper, all kinds of things. Uh, I had... uh, Heidi Allen's father come over and shoot at me with his gun. Uh, oh, the, the, the people weren't very nice to me. They we go to the store, they grab their kids, they go the other way. Uh, everybody just went the other way when I walk into the place. I, I said, "Wow, what's going on here?" I mean, yeah, then I I didn't go anywhere by myself after that. Once they arrested me and and that, and I spent 10 days in jail till I got bailed out. After I got bailed out, then I started going places, but uh, it wasn't uh, a good thing for me to do to go anywhere by myself. So I decided I'm not going anywhere by myself, so I didn't. I uh, was with somebody all the time, constant. So 
I did not get accused of anything anymore. I've never heard anything else about Heidi's father shooting at Richard, but let's think about this from both sides. If he and Gary did do it, it's understandable that people would call him names and people would avoid him. If they didn't, that's a terribly unfortunate way to have to go through life. Now let's jump forward here a little while. In early 1995, it was determined Gary Thibodeau would go on trial first. Now I've never been able to figure out why he was selected to go first, and all of the legal experts I have spoken to don't know why either. The reason the brothers were going on separate trials for the same crime was because of the inclusion of jailhouse informants against Gary. They didn't have that for Richard, so the evidence was different. They needed separate trials and separate juries. Before we get into the trials for the Thibodeau brothers, there's something else that happened. Gary's wife, Sharon Raposa, was also going on trial for perjury. Remember when Gary and Sharon went to Massachusetts on Easter 1994 and their Cadillac broke down? The trial stemmed from a receipt linked to the couple's shared bank account that came from a furniture store in Oswego on April 5, 1994. From the WRVO archives in 1995, this is John Hurlbut with some more explanation. A witness told the court at the perjury trial of Sharon Raposa Thibodeau that she's absolutely certain she saw Thibodeau in Oswego County on April 5th of last year. Marcia Anthon testified that Sharon Thibodeau made a payment at an Oswego furniture store on the same day Thibodeau had told police she and her husband Gary Thibodeau were in Massachusetts. The store has a receipt dated April 5th showing payment on Sharon and Gary Thibodeau's account. Sharon Thibodeau is on trial for lying to police about where she and her husband Gary were last year when Heidi Allen disappeared from a New Haven convenience store. Eventually, she was acquitted. But that's just more piling against the Thibodeaus. This is another situation where if you believe the brothers were behind the kidnapping, then this is completely justified. If you believe they didn't do it, it's a gross misuse of the judicial system. Moving on to Gary's trial in spring 1995, there was a lot of testimony that applied to both his trial and Richard's trial, so we'll cover all of that now. Again, the difference in evidence came with the jailhouse informants. To do that, I want to start going through a couple of other first-hand accounts from the morning of April 3rd, 1994, when Heidi disappeared. I want to emphasize that with all of these stories, the facts I've gathered may not be entirely accurate because I have to depend on the word of others. With that in mind, I want to welcome a guest who can help me articulate the testimonies of some important witnesses, and we'll talk through it together. Joining me now to talk about the other perspectives we have from that morning of Heidi's kidnapping is Catherine Wolper, one of my professors here at SUNY Oswego, my advisor on this project, and the former news director at WRVO. Hi, Ryan. Let's start with Christopher Bivens, who talked to police and testified in court. His stories of what happened that morning changed over time. Also... We asked Bivens for an interview, and he did not respond. So Bivens says he left his home in Oswego the morning Heidi disappeared. At one point, he said he left at 7.30 in the morning. Another time, he said it was between 8 and 8.30. Either way, he drove east on Route 104, past the D&W. He said he was going at least 30 miles per hour, but perhaps as fast as 45 miles an hour. Now I'll tell you, I drive by that gas station every time I go to and from work. Nowadays, the speed limit is 55 miles an hour, and people usually drive faster than that. Bivens told authorities that as he was driving, he saw either a pickup truck or a blue van. It could have been a Chevy or a Dodge. Now you may remember, Richard Thibodeau's van was mostly white with some black on it. Bivens said the vehicle he saw was parked at the D&W. 
Two people were near the vehicle, possibly arguing. Bivens said what he saw could have been an abduction. He said one strong and husky-looking white man was restraining a white female in a bear hug. And at one point, Bivens said that female was Heidi. And later, he said he believed it could have been Heidi. Bivens also said another strong, husky white guy was standing nearby. Now we turn to another witness, Nancy Fabian. Fabian recalled seeing a van following closely behind her car at approximately 7.45 that morning at the intersection of Route 104 and Route 3 in Mexico, which is about 10 miles from the DNW. She said the van was driving erratically as if the driver was struggling with something inside. At first, Fabian described the van as being blue. Later, she said the van was white and identified it as Richard Thibodeau's. Then we turn to jailhouse informants, Robert Baldessaro and James McDonald. They both testified that Gary Thibodeau told them he occasionally used drugs with Heidi Allen. And that Heidi was upset because she believed Gary was going to try to screw her about something and try to get her in trouble. According to court documents, Baldessaro and McDonald also testified that Gary said Heidi had been bludgeoned to death with his shovel and that investigators would never find her body. And that's the essence of these four key testimonies at the Thibodeau's trials. We talked about the informants before, but they were key in the trial. With a jury of Gary's peers, would that testimony from Baldessaro and McDonald be strong enough to convict him? Something that's also important to address is Bivens' claim about how two husky men with dark hair being the ones who committed the crime. Richard Thibodeau had gray hair, and it has only gotten whiter over time. Before we get into what happened with the trial, let's transition back to the Allen family. This must have been unbearable to spend day after day in the courtroom with the man whom you presume kidnapped your daughter or sister or niece or cousin sticking to his story. Heidi's older sister, Lisa Buskey, described this time period to me as a dark time for her, and she doesn't really remember much. And it makes sense. Someone that was so close with so many people and made such a great impact on the lives of her family and friends was gone. That had to have been incredibly painful. Something Lisa Buskey talked about really stands out, and it paints a strong picture of how hard that loss had to be in the time following. Thursdays was the one day that we didn't, she didn't take classes, and we took the days off, and those were, that was our day, and whether we vegetated at home and did nothing, or went to the mall, or, you know, this was before, like, going for spa and manicure, like, I don't know, you guys, like, have no clue, but... You know, we did stuff. We went for a walk. We went for a run. We, you know, hung around the house. Um, that was our day. So that was, you know, the first few Thursdays, those were hard. As easy as it is to get caught up in all of the court stuff and who did it or why they did it or how it happened, it's necessary not to lose sight of what the real injustice is here. And that is Heidi's life being cut short with not even a little bit of closure for her loved ones. That's a terrible thing, and it needs to be kept at the forefront of all of this. Going back to Gary's trial, it played out through the spring and early summer. The jury heard all the evidence that we went through earlier, and more. Some of Gary's neighbors testified that they saw Richard's van in Gary's driveway on the morning of April 3rd, in addition to Christopher Bivens and Nancy Fabian's testimonies. On June 19th, the jury made their decision. It took an Oswego County jury just under three and a half hours to reach a verdict in the kidnapping trial of Gary Thibodeau. WRVO's Michael Hurtline files this report. Mrs. Phillips, uh, do I understand from the uh, note and the information I've received that the jury has reached a verdict in this case? Yes, we have. You have. Okay. 
If you could stand up, Mrs. Phillips and Ms. O'Hara will inquire of the verdict. In the case of the people versus Gary J. Thibodeau, indictment 94-161, how do you find the defendant as to count number one, kidnapping in the first degree? Guilty. <laughs> Gary Thibodeau was to remain in jail until he was sentenced, and he was facing 25 years to life in prison for the first degree kidnapping of Heidi Allen. Richard Thibodeau was a free man at the point of his brother's conviction, but less than 48 hours later, he was arrested. The Bob Waters Bail Bond Company revoked the $15,000 bond they had put up for Richard, following Gary's verdict. In the immediate aftermath of Gary's conviction, Heidi's family finally thought they'd be able to find some closure. Sue Allen, Heidi's mother, says the conviction may help bring out information concerning her daughter's whereabouts. I think, you know, there's other people, they've talked about that since the beginning, that there's people that know things, but were afraid to say something, or, you know, afraid of Gary. Well, now he's in jail, they're free to come forward, they're free to talk, and they will find out where Heidi is. This is the first time in the story that we've had hope coming from the Allen family. It must have been a great feeling finally seeing someone convicted. And maybe Gary wouldn't talk immediately because he didn't want to incriminate his older brother, but if they convicted Gary... They were going to convict Richard, too. And like Sue Allen said, there was hope that anyone who knew more would come forward because Gary was going to be spending a long time in prison. If the brothers actually did it, they would have nothing to lose by coming clean. It would only be to their advantage to admit to the crime and try to get out on parole eventually. On the other side of the coin, the Thibodeau family was distraught. They were convinced Gary was innocent, and that was their guy. They thought there was no way law enforcement had the right man. Whether someone was on the side of law enforcement or the Thibodeaux, nobody thought they were wrong. This was the start of the two camps growing disdain for the other side, and it only continued to grow in the years to come. Later in the summer, the jury for Richard's trial was selected around early September. Once it started, they went through all the same evidence that they did with Gary, minus the jailhouse informants. On September 29, 1995, the jury reached a verdict, not guilty. Now this is where things get even murkier. Gary was convicted, Richard was not. How could that happen? Even now, it's not something I'm able to understand. They had different lawyers and different juries of their peers, but how could Gary have done it when Richard didn't? I am positive nobody is ever going to confuse me for a lawyer, but these differing verdicts really point out the nuances of the criminal justice system. The explanation from the prosecution was that different juries can interpret the same information differently, but when the story is held together by both Gary and Richard doing it together, how can one be convicted and one can't? The prosecution had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Gary and Richard committed the crime, and to me, that's questionable here. Convicting both of them would have completely won over the court of public opinion, and there would be no doubt left from anyone, except for the people who had already been convinced of the Thibodeau's innocence. This verdict left the door open for the group of people who believed the Thibodeau's to grow and grow. If the prosecution was able to convict Richard, this show would end right here. Honestly, it probably wouldn't even exist at all. Now this isn't to say that the Thibodeaux weren't responsible, because that isn't the point of this show, but this seems to be something the criminal justice system can't really explain. That is unfair to both the Allen family and the Thibodeau family. 
I don't want to blame law enforcement and the prosecution here for failing, because I'm convinced they truly believe the Thibodeau brothers were responsible for the kidnapping of Heidi Allen. But they are responsible for leaving the door open for people to not believe them. And that is why this is not the last episode of the series. Getting back to Gary, he was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison, and shortly after his conviction, his lawyer Joseph Fahey got to work on the appeals process after being shocked by the verdict. Here's Fahey from the WRVO archives. I thought that uh, things had, you know, uh, gone in very, very well and very positively uh, in the defense of the case. I certainly couldn't get any indication from the questions they were asking in terms of readbacks and or information we were requesting that they were headed in that direction. And uh, so I'm frankly very surprised by it. Among the obvious things, like getting back to his life and his family and friends, Gary told his brother all he wanted to do was have a beer and go fishing. Gary's legal team, that now included another lawyer, a woman named Randy Bianco, pushed through all of the appeals available until they exhausted the final appeal in 1999. All the courts came up with the same answer. He was guilty. In the next episode, we'll talk about what happened from here. There was really no hope for Gary, Nobody had any information about where Heidi was, and that was that. Shockingly, this case stayed alive and continued beyond Gary's last appeal. How? We'll go through all of that and more next week on the Heidi Allen case, Central New York's most enduring mystery. This series is produced by WRVO Public Media. It was researched, written, and hosted by Ryan Zalduando with help from Catherine Loper, Jason Smith, and Leah Landry. This episode was edited and produced by Mark Lavonier, who also composed and performed the music heard in the series. You can find this series online at wrvo.org.